going over these but God verses in the Bible and, and pulling them out, the promises for our life. And I just want to share and speak it over the body of Christ to give you a reference to be able to surface the power of God in your life and moments of time where it seems like you have no victory. It seems like peace might be, might be draining. It seems like uh, that your, your hope is, is, is draining. And, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do is when he gets the mind of the body of Christ, he gets everything attached to it, which is our mouth, our hands, and our feet. Right? So that's why it's so important as a child of God that as we come into the house of God for encouragement and for instruction in the Word that we, we leave the house of God with something, some tools in our toolbox, an, an arsenal, so to speak, which is the Word of God. It's, part, it's, it's the sword of the Spirit. That's part of the, the armor of the body of Christ as, as a soldier as we are fighting through uh, this life and we take our shield of faith uh, that we, we know how to be able to yield our sword today. And through God's Word, He gives us so many examples of how to be able to use that sword and to use that shield to press through this thing that we call life and that we can do it victoriously. And that we can do it together as one, with one mind and one purpose. And I want to share something with you out of 1 Corinthians 4 that Paul is trying to instill in the body of Christ thousands of years ago as the church is just lifting off the ground and it's just getting started. He's, he's, he's explaining something that's so deep spiritually, but yet it's so simple and we, we can complicate it in so many ways and has been over the centuries as we look at the growth of the church since this time and so many different leaders and, and so many organizations has, has rose up as a platform for speaking God's word. And I just want to take us back to the basics this morning on church. And on, as Robert's been, been speaking for Sunday school of what church looks like, what does church look like today? What is the church? According to the Word of God, Paul says that the Spirit of God is now not just in four walls, but He dwells in us as we are the temple. Right? We are the church. It's the individual sitting in the pew this morning that is the church. So it's not what the corporate body looks like. It's what the individual looks like. And in Philippians, or Philippians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll be in Philippians in a minute, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is speaking to this body of worshipers. And he's getting ready to come pay him a visit, and he's been writing these letters, and the church has been preaching the letters of Paul, and they've been preaching it with power and with authority. And Paul's peering into something beyond the letter, and he's hitting an issue of the heart that's so profound. And as I read this, I think, Lord, help me to be able to understand the magnitude of what you are saying and how to be able to apply it to my life. Because when you start reading some scriptures uh, in the Word of God where you are reading the promises of God and what all that He offers and He wants to bestow upon us as a child of God, it's miraculous. We can't even be able to comprehend the smallest piece of, of what He has for a believer that He wants to bestow in our life to give us a authority because he equips us with power and power is what gives us the ability to be able to move your joints and your muscles exert a force it's it's power you can't survive in life without some sort of power your brain is a muscle just being able to thought to think gives you power that's why people that can't even move that might be laid up in a hospital bed that can't you know there's people that can't move nothing but their eyes but some of those people have wrote some of the
of the greatest books without even being able to move their hand to impact the body of Christ. One of them that you can read is It's Good to Be Alive. It's been years since I read it. man got hurt in a surfing accident and, and he was one that was in a wheelchair. You could only blow through a straw and you could only move your eyeballs. And he wrote a book that has touched millions of people around the world from a wheelchair that can't even move his finger. But he's encouraging people because of the power of his mind. He's using his muscle as a force that even though you can't physically see it, the, the movement, you see it in a whole other realm, which is a lifestyle. And Paul, he's getting to the nuts and the bolts of this spiritual walk and what it looks like to be a church, what it looks like to be a believer. And he says, starting in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 20, and I'm going to read out of the King James this morning. He says, but I'm going to come to you shortly if the Lord will, and will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And I want us to focus on that for just a few minutes this morning before we go to the Lord's table, of what the power of God looks like. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to ask you that your Holy Spirit touch my tongue this morning, Lord, that you touch this earthen vessel, Lord, and all of the wickedness in Jeremiah Jeffers and remove it for just a moment this morning. That your glory would fall in this place, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse of you. So overshadow me by the shadow of the cross today, Lord. And would you speak the word of life, Lord? Give us ears to be able to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Hmm. Encourage us, Lord, through your letter this morning. May your Holy Spirit walk up and down the aisles of this, of this church and touch every soul that's afflicted, Lord. Anyone, Lord, that has a need this morning, Lord, that you would meet that need in a specific way, in a way that only you can, Lord. Jesus, Lord. So we want to thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to come worship in the study, the context of your word this morning, and to observe you in remembrance of the Lord's table. So, Lord, we thank you, and we give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The word power in the Hebrew comes from a Hebrew word, or in the Greek, I'm sorry, it comes from a Greek word, dunamis. And you've heard that if you've been in church for any length of time, you hear of the dunamis power of God. And there's so much that goes with that. You know what the word dominus really means? It's physical power. It's a force. It's a life lived. So the Lord is speaking to the church, and he's saying, he's saying, Church, the kingdom of God, which is being orchestrated through Jesus Christ around the world, is not just in word, but it's in power. And I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced the power of God in your life? It's like this. You know, a man has a child, he's got a, a, young, a young boy, and they grow up in church, and the young man is teaching his young son or his daughter, and he's telling them they come into church and they talk about heaven, they talk about walking the streets of gold, they talk about forgiveness of sin, we come in, we take our children to uh, Bible school, we, we put them in Sunday school class, and, and on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday night, Wednesday night, we talk about the good things about God. But then, when little Johnny on Monday morning, when he sees his dad, the unseen circumstances in life arise, maybe that Daddy loses his job. Maybe there's an illness in the family. Maybe, maybe some catastrophic event has just happened out of nowhere and dropped on the dad's lap. Where, where is the kingdom in that moment? Does little Johnny see dad operating in the power of God to be able to, to grab the situation and the circumstance of life and bring it into the context of God's word to show heaven on earth? 
in that situation. There's a mother as she's raising her children and she's trying to teach them the best that she can about God's Word and about church, you know, and something arises after Sunday morning or Wednesday night in mom's life and, and something has happened in her family or with a friend or maybe a job or in the home. Does she see mom operating the same on Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as we see, as we speak the word. See, there's a, there's a huge cavern, a huge distance that's placed between the word of God and the power of God. And what bridged it is the cross of Jesus Christ. See, Paul was talking to a group of people that had the word, but they didn't have and possess the power because there was things that were going on in this community and inside of the church that hurt God's heart to the point where Paul, Paul, he's seeing and he's looking from the outside. He's hearing reports of things that's happening and, he, and he's trying through the Spirit of God moving through Paul as he writes this letter. He's, he's trying to pinpoint something so deep. He says, look, church, it's not about your speech. It's not about how well that you can get up and preach the Word of God. It's not about how well that you can put a sermon together or a Sunday school lesson together. It's not about how well you can fit phrases together. It's not how well you can counsel young men in a drug program. It's not about how well you can do these things and how you look. It's about what you look like in between the gap from Sunday morning to Sunday morning. It says the power of God is something that's seen in the physical. Can they see you? Can they see Christ in us as a church. And Paul wasn't, Paul didn't write this letter to beat the church. He's trying to encourage them. Paul loved the church. He says, I love that you have a passion for the word because it starts there, but it doesn't end there. It starts with logos, but it ends in rhema. And rhema is a living word that's been transformed and figured and engraved and engrafted into our heart to where it becomes part of us. And he says, church, I desire for my kingdom to be seen not in speech but in power, which is authority. Because I give that to you. It was orchestrated and released through the power of the Holy Spirit through the cross, and I give that to you. And I just want to open the mind of the body of Christ this morning to recognize the power that you possess. So nothing, nothing is more devastating than, than to be able to watch someone that has the ability and the power inside them to change, but they can't because they don't know the power that they possess. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to rise up a body of people, a remnant, a group of individuals this morning as a church to recognize who you are. This is an identity message. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God touch each and every one of our hearts to recognize that power that God has invested into us, that He bought and paid for by His precious blood, that we give Satan too much credit. We, we give the enemy too much in this life. And I know that we go through things. I know that things and situations can come upon people, tragic deaths, automobile accidents, financial crises, divorces, all of these things, is, is it, we all face one or maybe all or some of those things and more. But you know, they don't have the power. It may hurt to go through certain periods of time in our life. But I want to share with you a promise from God's Word that it's not what it looks like church. It's not what it feels like. It's about who he already is and what he has accomplished. 
See, Satan been doing this for centuries. He's mastered it because he knows this is where I will get him at. It's here. It's, it's right here in between their ears. And when I have that, I have all of them. So some people, they're stuck in a stagnant place because so many hurts have held them down. Those people in the house of God that, that are like paralegics that can't move because they have been stiffened, their joints have been stiffened. Not that the muscle in the joint isn't there and it's not capable of moving, but the power hasn't come upon them to hit that specific joint because they've been lied to. The enemy has lied to him and said, you can't move that muscle anymore because what, what so-and-so did to you, your ex-husband or, or ex-wife was, was so horrible, or, or this, uh, this pain that, that you suffered, uh, someone has, has got hurt or, or unforeseen uh, circumstances health-wise has happened in their life, and it hurts so bad because the enemy wants you to stay focused on that so much to say God has left you, that God doesn't have the power in your life, that, that God has somewhere put you off on the back burner and he's left you out here all by yourself and this pain that you're feeling is never going to leave because it, it's, it's something that's had such, it's been so close to you. People's got hurt in the church. People have become bitter in the house of God because of people in the church that's just like them, whether it be pastoral leaderships, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, it could be uh, deacons in the church, it could be elders, it could be just regular church people and, and over time maybe they experienced something in the church that just rubbed in the wrong way. Maybe it was all the wrong way. I don't know. But you know what I do know is he is the right way. And when he comes into our lives, Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us power to move past our circumstance to where we recognize it's not about the things around me. It's not about other people. It's not about the things that I'm suffering right now because this is only temporal. See, temptation, suffering, it don't last forever. This is what you need to know this morning. It will not last forever. Some things may last the whole time that you're on this side of eternity, but there is coming a day according to the word of God where we are with him and we come up and are resurrected into the clouds and we're giving a new body. We're giving a, a holy body. This old vessel, all things, old things are passed away. All things become new and we get a celestial body where we're praising God and we get our home in heaven and some of us bigger ones than others but we're going to be with him in eternity. So when we have an eternal perspective, you can walk through things and situations of life that most people wouldn't be able to walk through because the weight is so heavy and it's so long. I carry certain things in my life that I'm going to carry to the day I die. I know the weight will never be lifted on this side of eternity. Those things I can't even speak to the body of Christ that I'm not going to go into detail of. It's different and unique for me. Some of it's been because of sin that's been placed on my life. But the weight is heavy. It feels like it weighs 10,000 pounds and each and every day you get up you just maybe you just don't want to go through another day sometimes because you have to drag this weight but God I thank God for the but God clauses in the word because he tells me Jeremiah Isaiah 41 it feels that way it looks that way people's hurt you you've hurt yourself people's placed uh, affliction on top of you and there's things that you have to walk through in this life and even because of your past and he says but I I give you the strength because those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as an eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God. Because then when we give the weight to him, the only one that can carry it, when we give our husband, when we give our wife, when we give sickness, when we give illness, when we give financial crises, when we give things that's out of our control to him, then we can proclaim the word of God over our situation, over our circumstance, and walk through it even without 
without it changing. It does not change. We change in the process. And church, that's what revival is. Jesus, we're praying for revival in Pool, Kentucky. Not that people don't have the life. Because many of you know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many people in this community and church that know the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the shadow of a doubt. But God wants to do something. God wants to restore the psalm in the praise to the house of God. Because the enemy has closed our mouths. He said, you've lost so-and-so, you've, you've experienced this, you've, you've went through that, and, and the lies start coming into our mind. It says it's never going to be any different. Well, it may not. It may not. But you know what? It don't matter. Because I know this life is going to come to an end someday. And I'm learning day by day, the older I get, and I'm only 39, but I'm learning to start how to be able to number my days, of how to be able to take account for the day that I live. Because the Lord says, look, you think about right now. Don't think about yesterday, the Word of God says. Don't think about what's coming up tomorrow because you have no, no control. It's sufficient for today is the evil thereof. He says, but I give a way for you to escape, the word of God proclaims. He, he promises a way to be able to maneuver through all of those things, maybe even carry it with you until the day we lay down in the grave. He said, well, that's not a very uplifting message. To me, it is. Because to me, it gives me an identity. It, it gives me power. It gives me hope. It gives me strength. Because you know what the flip side is? It's to feel like when we're a child of God, God comes into our life that He's just going to make everything better. And there's preachers that preach it from the pulpit. And they preach a half message. People become discouraged because they feel like they've done something wrong. They feel like there's some hidden sin in their life or why they're experiencing this, this affliction. And there's people that's taught it. They used to do it in Jesus' day. That's what, he, that's what he would tell the Pharisees. You know, that's what they believed. If you had something going on in your life or you was financially struggling in some way or you had some crisis going on, well, they would come to your house and it wouldn't be a message like this. They'd be tearing through the Scripture, all right, beating you to death with it, saying you need to be on your knees son or daughter because I don't know what it is you've got in your life for God to be doing this to you you need to either pay more to the church you need to get out your checkbook you need to be on your knees repenting of some heinous sin that's deep down in your heart and, and, and that was a belief that was a common belief even in Jesus day and you know they felt like that you had went against the letter of the law well, you must not be obeying the law in some way. Why? Because it's the law that brings life. That's what they would. That's what they held on would tell people. It's the law. It's what. It's how all of this looks like. And Jesus told him. He says, "Look, you hypocrites, go out and you make proselytes or however that he says it converts to be twice the child of hell that you are." He's telling the religious leaders, "You're child of hell." Jesus. That must have been eye-opening when he tells these people that have such well-put-together speeches and they know the Word of God so much they have books of the Bible memorized and the Son of God comes down to earth and he tells them, you're a child of hell and the people that you're bringing up, you're converts, you're making them twice the child of hell with you because you don't know me. He says, what was it that they didn't know? I believe it's important for us to get to this this morning. They didn't know the love. See? God is love. The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love other people. You can't love other people till you love God. And according to the scripture, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to turn to that and read that this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, he's instructing the church about this very thing. And he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men, starting in verse 1 and we'll read through 7, 
and of angels even, which means it's so well put together, it seems so right and says, and you have not charity, which is love. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, though I can tell you things out of the word of God, and though you may even see certain things come true, he says, and I understand all the mysteries of the deep things of God. I can stand and preach the house down. I can, I can put you on your knees. I can orchestrate a move where you feel something stirring so much it brings you up here, but you face first at the altar of God. And he says, in all knowledge, and though I have all faith, he says, and I, I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Though I can speak faith into your life, though I might be able to physically produce something in the earth and for it to actually move, but I don't have the love, I am nothing. And he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I may, I may rain it down on the homeless shelter, in the goodwill, in the discipleship programs. I may give everything I have in my home to everybody that has a need on the earth, but there's something deep down. He says, beware, church, you can do those things and still not have love. You can do all of it and still not have his love. He says, And though I give my body to be burned, and I have not charity profit me nothing, though I take such a strong stand on biblical principles, and I allow them to burn me at the stake, there's a possibility that it's done from the wrong motive and from the wrong place of heart. He says, look, church, I'm trying to open your mind. He says, do not, and he says, charity, it suffers long and it's kind. Charity doesn't envy. Charity doesn't uh, vaunt itself and it's not puffed up. He says, it does not behave itself unseemly. It, it doesn't seek her own. It's not easily provoked and it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things, believe all things things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. And we'll read verse 8, he says, Charity, love, will never fail. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail. And where there are tongues, they shall cease. And where there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. But there's one thing that will stand that we measure our life from, church. This is examination. This is true examination before we come to the Lord's table. Because the Lord says, if we don't have this, all of our works are going to be burned at the end. All of it. All your ministry will burn to the ground and be swept away into nothing. Everything you've done for 70, 80 years of your life, if it's not done in the context of the scripture of God's agape love, then it will burn at the end. And so will you. Jesus. This is a day of accountability for us all. This is revival. This is, can we search our hearts deep enough to say, God, what is the purpose for me doing what I do? What is, what is the purpose in the motive for me speaking what I speak? If it has anything to do with God's word. And I have to ask myself this question because this is a sobering word, church. This is not an easy message to preach. But it has to be preached because it's part of the letter of life. See, several months ago, some of you may not remember, but we had a four-week study leading up to communion. Four weeks of Sunday morning, we went into what the Lord's table represents. 
And it was hinging upon God's love moving in and through us. Because where God's love is, there's unity. Where, where God's love is, there is compassion. Where God's love is, there is purpose. Um, and even though we may start to stray away, now I'm going to give you some encouragement. As I know, it seemed pretty doom and gloom. Here's some encouragement. God has it in his word because he knows that's where we're going to find ourselves. Okay. You may be in that place where you've been walking away, but it's okay today because God has still given us a process of time and there is still hope. And it doesn't mean that you're lost and going to hell, provided that when the Word of God comes upon you, there's something that moves you toward Him. See, the Christian life is not about perfection, it's about direction. There's something that sets us apart as a child of God. It's a child of God is limber. We may come into periods of time of stiffness where rigor mortis sets in for different reasons. But the Spirit of God dwells in you. It doesn't matter how far you've ran from God. It doesn't matter if you're sitting at a dope house somewhere and you've got a crack stem hanging out of your mouth. If you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is time. And you know, it's amazing when God moves in and through the life of a believer. People fail. Your church people will fail you. You will fail yourself. But he says there's one that will never fail, Jesus. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that he wants to instill and re-instill and reignite hope in somebody's life this morning. And it starts with the Word, but it ends in a lifestyle. So we're going to start with the Logos, and we're going to end with a life lived. That's right here. That's new direction. That's a whole new change of life. That's a recognition of where I'm at. I've been identified. Now I'm going to identify myself with Christ. Lord, I've maybe gotten over here. Some things have taken control of my mind. I've been listening to the enemy's lies. But I don't want to live this way because I know that you have a plan in a future for my life. And it is to give me hope. It's not to keep me captive. It's to set free the chains and those that's afflicted. And we're going to start with a few passages of Scripture this morning, and I'm going to read through these, and I don't want to take too much time, but I want to give the Lord time enough to move. And in Psalm 33, and you can write these down, I'm going to give you 14 Scriptures. These seven Scriptures I'm about to read you are promises from God to his church. That's you as an individual. And each one of these start with but. B-U-T. Not B-U-T-T. But. B-U-T. That means that there is a shift. That means he was speaking in each one of these scriptures to somebody who found herself that was either walking away they had experienced life, things had come upon them, and Satan was starting to, they were starting to listen to the wrong voice, and they were becoming spiritually drained, and the Lord says, but, in Psalm 33, he's a shield. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. It's not what it looks like, church. My glory in the one who lifts up my head. He's our shield. Psalm 5:11. He's our defender and of our joy. He says, but it's not what it looks like. 
Let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Jesus, he's our defender. Psalm 103:17. His mercy upon us is everlasting. He says, but the mercy of the Lord. It may seem like you're in a place where there is no mercy, but he is the mercy. And he says, it's from everlasting to everlasting, which means it will never end. On those who fear him, that's not a shaking fear, church. That's a reverent fear. That's just an acknowledgement that this is what God says, and I'm going to take him at his word and his righteousness to children's children. That's your son, daughter, grandchildren, their grandchildren. Why? Because of a life lived. He says in Isaiah 40, 31, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by your name. You are mine. We are ransomed. And he has called you by name. He knows your very name. Out of all the billions of people that's ever walked the planet, that's dead or alive today, he knows them all. First, last, middle name, and everything about their life. He, he knows. Jesus, thank you, God. Isaiah 40, 31. All right. He says, but those who wait on the Lord right, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He's a renewer of strength to the weak and the weary. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he's a supplier of all of our needs. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, he's great in love. He's great in mercy. He says, but God, you may not seem to have any love right now. Things going on around you don't seem to be any mercy. He says, but God, he is rich in mercy. He's rich. It just flows through him. He's over and abundant. He has so much of it, it just pours out of every orifice of his body. And he says, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, this is hope for the church. Even though you may find yourself dead in trespasses, what's, what's trespasses? It's sin. It's missing the mark. You know, this is work to the church. This wasn't just work to the non-believer. He said, even though you may find yourself dead at times, church, there's something in you that I've already paid for. He said, you're made alive together with Christ because of my grace. What is grace? Grace is something that you don't deserve. Jesus, we don't live by the law. We live by faith. Through grace you have been saved, the scripture says. Jesus, sometimes as a church we get so legalistic and we put things on people and their lives and their situations and we forget the grace of God in our own life. We say, how can they even be a believer? How can they even know the Lord? I'm guilty of doing it in my own mind. The Lord says, don't you remember, son, yesterday? It's only by grace that you're here. It's only by grace you can even call out to me. Your sin's no different than no sin. What's the difference? We've got to worry about our own life before we can worry about someone else's. Whether they turn or not is dependent upon him. And he says, but God, these last seven scriptures are for who God, what he's done for us. These are joy restorers right here. This, this will, when you read these verses, this should produce something inside of you. This should build your faith, right? Starts with the logos, with the word. It ends in rhema, life lived. But you can't have the rhema without the logos. And he says in Philippians 2, 7, that he took the form of a servant for you. God that sits on the throne, the creator of the universe, come down as a humble servant. It says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. In Romans 5, 8, Jesus, while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that He had me on His mind 2,000 years ago hanging on a wood cross, that He had Jeremiah Jeffers today, the things I'm facing today, on His mind. And He says, I'm going to go through this so I can give Him something 2,000 years from now to change His mindset, to give Him hope, to beat Satan over the head. See, He didn't just beat Satan over the head 2,000 years ago on the Christ. He's still stopping His head today through the word of faith, Jesus. And He says, 1 Corinthians 1.27, He says, He disrupts the order of man. He disrupts the religious realm. And He says, well, what does He say? He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, those that think they are so smart and they've got it all figured out. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame to the things which are mighty. Thank you, Jesus. It's not what it looks like. It says, there may be people all around you that seem to be so much stronger than you are. All these influences and all this stuff that's happening around the world. He says, son, I've used that. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm so powerful. I'm going to let them think they got some control, and I'm going to turn around and use their stupidity and use their foolishness for your gain. Jesus, isn't that a miracle from the Word of God? He says, I'll use the foolishness to confound them. You may seem weak. Your weakness is what's going to produce the power. And he says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, our God is a, he's a searcher of man. He cares enough about you. He will search you out to the bitter end. He says, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. These are the mysteries of God. These are the deep things of God. For the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. And He wants to bestow them upon His people. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. He's a giver of increase. He says, now I'm going to take some of the weight off from you, church. Some of you servants that might be walking with too much bondage that you're not intended to carry. He says, so then neither he who plants anything nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. Jesus, it's him. All we have to do is show up. How do we show up? Through a life lived. Through a life lived on purpose. Through a life lived because of His love. We're not out here serving the body of Christ just to get a show. We're not slapping a tin out here on 41A so people can just look at us and oh, look at the good things they're doing for the Lord and all these things. No. We want to do it because we love people's soul. We want to do it because we love the lost. We want to do it because we love the church and we want each other to raise up to be the best that we can possibly be. And he says, Ephesians 2.13, even though you was far away, see, here's that big cavern. Now we're made near. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. He says, Ephesians 4.7, that grace is given to us through Christ. This undeserved mercy, this, this undeserved life, this undeserved mindset is given to us through Christ, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given. You have grace today if you are a child of God according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is the measure? Now here, we're going we're gonna to rattle some cages across the world today. You know, we talk about measure. What is the measure of Christ? You think you've got different measures? No! What's Christ's measure? It's over and abundant for all. He says His cup is so full, He's going to fill your cup to the same capacity. The same measure of grace that's been given to Jeremiah Jeffers is given to you. There's no differences in measures of grace. Jesus, you think you don't 
don't deserve God's grace? You think God isn't going to be able to grace you because of who you are, what you're doing right now, or maybe where you've been? Jesus says, I paid the price. I've already known it from the beginning of time. I knew you when you was in your mother's womb, is what he told Jeremiah. You think Jeremiah had it all together? He was a flipping moron at times. There was times he just didn't have it all together. But Jesus, thank God that God had mercy upon him. He used him on a platform to be able to change a nation, to be able to give people hope, to be able to give them peace. Did Jeremiah's circumstances change? No. He went through some of the greatest hell a human life could ever, could ever see on this side of eternity. And he lived it to the day he died. But you know what? God done something in and through Jeremiah the prophet, not Jeremiah Jeffers. I pray he does me someday and he does you the same. Is that he used his life by numbering his days to bless others because he had a love given to him by God for others. You think, you read through the book of Jeremiah sometime. See how many times he found himself walking away from God. See how many times he had it together? No, but God moved to point him and brought him back. It's just a readjustment, church. Don't be so hard on yourself. Some people, they, they get so religious, they get so down upon themselves because of their failure. Look, it's like this. I'm going to read it to you out of the scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Every anything I give you is not from Jeremiah Jeffers, it's from the Word of God. Don't take what I say to the bank, take what God says to the bank. Here it is. He says, and I'm going to read this out of you because I just love how it reads. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. I love how that reads. Containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. Church, now we're going to close. We want to experience the power of God. Our church is praying to experience the power of God. We're praying to experience more in our life. How do you get ointment out of a clay jar? If you want it all, it has to be broken. The seal has to be broken or the jar altogether to be shattered. But it doesn't matter if you're in the shattering or if you're in just the plug being pulled out and it hurts. What's inside of you that God wants to get to is where all the mysteries of the kingdom of God lies. His miraculous power is in those times of broken. Thank you, Jesus. That's where he uses the simple things to confound the wise. The enemy thinks he's got it so under control. I'm going to break them. Nobody wants to go through the breaking process. But you know what? When it comes, my God says, all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. And it's in that broken time. And I thank God I can stand because I have no victory in anything else. And say, so you know what, Satan? That's a good one, boy. That's a... That's a I'm, I'm going to give you an applause for that one because that, that hurt. But guess what? I'm not laying down. I'm getting back up. And guess what? You can't take me and keep me down because of the power of God that's in and through my life. I'm going to stand every single time that you inflict the suffering and the pain in my life. I'm going to get up and beat you over the head just the same way Christ beat you 2,000 years ago and it's through the blood. And he says in these last days they're going to overcome by what the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Jesus, thank you Lord. We have a victor today in the house and his name is Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to stand to your feet for a minute this morning as we go to the Lord. And I just want you to examine before we come into this Lord's table. And I'm going to ask Miss Faye to play a couple of songs of invitation that just as I am. And we're going to play two, two stanzas. And in these two stanzas, if you need a touch from God today, I'm going to ask that you step out of your seat and you come down here to the altar. 
and you allow me to pray for you or a leader of our church to be able to pray for you and we're going to pray for the power of God together to come down in your life and to touch your circumstance and your situation to give you strength. We're going to pray for the miraculous to happen in the house of the Lord today. Church, this is where miracles happen. Miracles are lives changed. Miracles are people who were going one way and God intervenes in their life and puts them back on course to be able to receive God's best. He may do it through miraculous healing. He may do it through words of encouragement. He, we don't know all the ways that God has that he, that he moves and He desires to move in and through His church. But we do know this. When we are obedient and we've heard the voice of the Lord and we say, Daddy, I want to come back home. This is a time to come home. Mm, Jesus. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do what, Amy? Jesus, Jesus, absolutely. We'll just stretch our stretch our arms out toward Jeannie Gavin. She's she's such a an inspiration to her family and to our church and to the community. And we're gonna believe the word of God and we're just gonna we're just gonna mark her today with the healing ointment. Jesus Lord. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to come, Lord, and intervene on behalf of our sister, Lord Jeannie, this morning, God, that you would raise her up, Lord. Lord, that the physical pains, Lord, and just the trauma that's went on for so long, Lord, that, that you would just miraculously come upon her body, Lord, and upon her mind and renew her strength. She's been waiting on you, Lord, and according to the Scripture, Lord, and we can bind you to your own covenant promises that as a child, God waits and she's been stretched and her muscle of faith has been flexed, Lord, to the point of breaking, God. We pray for new strength to fall upon her from the heavens this morning. That your throne of grace, Lord, would be opened up and pour your oil of joy over top of her mind, Lord, that it would flow down to touch her lips, Lord, that it would drip off her fingertips and touch her feet, that she leaves a mark everywhere that she goes for you, that what Satan wanted to use, Lord, that wants to bring confusion and disruption, Lord, into this home, that you are God that allows destruction, Lord, for your glory. So we pray that you would use the attacks of the enemy, Lord, against his own self, Lord. You beat him over the head with his own tricks, Lord. And that you would use my sister, Lord, that you would raise her up as a soldier in these last days, Lord, to link arms with the army and the soldiers of God, Lord, to be able to march through this life, Lord, to be able to march through Poole and Henderson, Madisonville, Kentucky, Lord, to be able to show the praises of God. So, Lord, we want to thank you for who that you are, God. We want to thank you that you have, none of this has taken you by surprise, Lord. But we just want to ask and come in together, linked together in arms as one in full faith, Lord, that for a new baptism over top of my sister, a joy this morning, Lord. Lord, that you would just give her glimpses, Lord, each and every day, that you would encourage her in her faith, that she would feel your presence, Lord, that you would minister to her in the quietness of her home, Lord. And as she lays her head down to sleep every night, God, that you would give her visions and dreams of your purpose and plan for her life. It's not what it looks like. The enemy has lied to her, Lord, for too long. We pray, Lord, that you would open up her ears to what the Spirit has to say this morning, Lord, that she is exactly who she needs to be for this exact very time that she's living. And it's to bring you praise and to bring you glory, to be able to beat Satan over the head in this community, 
Lord, through the, through the things that she has suffered, to rise up as a testimony through the blood of Jesus Christ, to say it's not what it looks like. Jesus, Lord, so give her strength this morning, Lord, help raise her up, bring others in this church and this community around her to encourage her and her faith, Lord, to link arms with her, Lord, to grow along beside her each and every day. God, as we strengthen as a family in this church, I want to pray your blessing, Lord, and for your hand to come upon every mind, body, and soul in this church this morning, God, Lord, that the power of God would fall into this place, Lord, that there be a refreshing and a renewing of praise, that when we leave this temple, Lord, that we're not the same as when we walked in, and when we go into our workplaces Monday morning, God, that we're not the same, that there's a countenance change, that the aura of joy, Lord, rains down from our life to touch those that's in need around us, Lord, even those that the enemy has sent to try to bring discouragement, Lord, that we would have the, on the helmet of the hope of salvation to know our identity in Christ, that we walk with the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, that we carry our shield of faith and we know how to use it, Lord, that we have our sword of the Spirit and we're cutting off the lies of the enemy, Lord, that our loins are girt about with the, with the Spirit of truth, Lord, and that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Lord Jesus, shod our feet this morning in this place. Help us to dig deep in the pool, Kentucky, and to dig a well. May the well spring of life stir in pool, Kentucky, God, this harvest season. May there be something new, something fresh that pours out through all each and individual life, Lord, and bleeds down into our ministry, God, that authenticates the power of God. So we want to thank you, Lord, that you are a God that's in control. Thank you for your covenant promises. Help us to write them on the tables of our heart, God. Help, to take, help us to take them with us everywhere that we go. As slings in the slingshot as David beat Goliath, may we use them, Lord, against the Goliaths in our life this week. Jesus, Lord. So we thank you, God, for what you're doing in this service, for what you're about to do, Lord. And we just want to give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. And we call it done. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sure, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sure, thank you, Lord. We want to take a couple minutes this morning as before we come to the Lord's table. Just want to give five minutes. I know it's getting late, but it's communion day. We have it quarterly here in this church to come to the Lord's table for remembrance to obey the word of the Lord and to readjust. And this morning, we just want to take a few minutes of time for you to get alone with the Lord before we come and observe the Lord's table. And we're at 12.15 or so. Uh, Miss Faye will have Robert come up and we'll serve the sacraments. But as you are, are coming in and you're preparing your heart and your mind, and usually I read all the scriptures out of first uh, out of first Corinthians 11 and 13 where Paul gives the instruction of the order of worship and for communion and I'm not going to read the letter I'm just going to give it to you just the heart of God what he says is is before we come in to this table that this table is not just a ceremony it's not just something that, that he asks and he wants the body of Christ to come into haphazardly because it should mean something to us. That's why we announce communion for a period of time before we come into it to give people an opportunity and a time. Some of you may not have had that time, but you know what? You're here today. And there's some people in some churches that won't let people take communion that's outside of their church membership. And I don't believe that. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture where that we have to be a church member to, uh, to observe communion together. I don't see anywhere where it says you have to lay on your face for weeks on end and go in anguish just seeking and taking the candle of God's light to your heart painlessly until we come up to take no. But he does say to search it. And we're going to take all the work out of it this morning. You know what he's searching for? That love that we just talked about this morning. And you know there's a whole group of missing the mark, sin, classify it how that you want to, that that covers. 
So whether you just walk through the door, you didn't know anything about communion or not, you heard the word of the Lord this morning. And he says not to take my table unworthily. I'll paraphrase the scripture. What is an unworthy vessel? Somebody that does not want his love. If you are an individual that wants God's love in and through your heart, even though you're not a man or woman of perfection, none of us are, but you're seeking the perfecter, and that's Jesus Christ. And you ask Him this morning to help lead and guide you, then He will be with you. He says, but if you take of this table and you refuse and you rebel and you reject my love, there is a consequence. And it can be physical, spiritual, emotional, or all three. And that's the scripture. He says, so we search our heart, we examine ourselves before we come into this to honor and to recognize the seriousness, not of what we're about to partake in, but of what He done for us. And it's all about Him. So I want to honor Him this morning. We want to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by taking communion. If you have never given your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning, before we take this table, I want to give you an opportunity to come and to meet with me for a few minutes. And I'll walk with you through the Scripture, the plan of salvation, so you can leave this place this morning sure of who you are and your identity in Jesus Christ. And there will never again be a question of do I know God? Do I know Jesus? That plagues the mind of so many. There's a way that you can know that you know. And I can share that with you today. And with that, we're going to...